Warning, MF Uncensored contains adult language and discussion. Listener discretion is advised. We're a couple of misfits. We're a couple of misfits. What's the matter with misfits? That's where we fit in. We're not that being dilly. Don't go wrong with Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of MF Uncensored. Don't forget, if you guys are listening to us on the go, you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, basically anywhere you guys get your podcasts. You can also find more of our content on our website, themisfitfaction.com. There you'll find links to not only this show, but our other shows like the Multiverse Fancast, Cinematic Adventures, as well as brand new articles from Rob. And we also have our brand new Misfit Faction store where we have new items every month for you guys. So make sure you check that out at themisfitfaction.com. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Paul, doing the intro for you guys today. And we have an awesome episode uh, lineup for you guys today because not only do we have a very special guest star co-hosting with me is uh, producer Melanie from Bibliophiles Assemble and we also are speaking to author Joel Carroll. Joel wrote a book called The Book of Joel which talks about his story and his journey and it's fascinating stuff. It was a really great interview. We had a great time talking to him. We want to have him back on sometime soon so we're looking forward to you guys hearing it. But before we get started just a little bit of house cleaning for you guys. Don't forget first and foremost if you guys are looking to start your very own podcast Maybe you guys have been listening to us for the last couple of months. Maybe you guys have always wanted to try it out but not sure how to get started. If you guys go to podbean.com slash misfitfaction, you guys can get a free month of podcasting on us. Again, that's a thank you from us to you guys. We always are looking to help create new content, new shows, and if you guys are looking to get started, why not ask us for help? Why not get involved with us? We're always looking for new members of the Misfit Faction. So uh, again, that's podbean.com slash Misfit Faction. Or maybe you guys have your own online business or service, something that you guys want to promote. Guys, there are thousands, if not millions of podcasts all over the world, and if you guys are trying to get your message out or get your product out, if you guys go to sponsorship.podbean.com slash MisfitFaction, you guys get $100 of free advertising from us. Again, a thank you from us to you guys, because without you guys, we wouldn't be here. And lastly, guys, I cannot have a podcast episode where I don't mention Raise Energy. We have been having Raise Energy here at the studio for months now. We love it. We are big supporters of it. I'm wearing a Raise shirt right now. And in all honesty, they've been great to us, and we would love to share it with you guys. So if you guys go to repsports.com and pick up any case of Raise Energy or protein or testosterone boosters, anything along those lines, if you enter the code MISFIT89 at checkout, you'll get 20% off as a thank you from us. Again, that's Raise Energy from Repsports. And code is Misfit89. So that's going to wrap us up for the intro. When uh, we come back from our little break, we're going to get started with our interview with Joel Carroll. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to MF Uncensored. If you guys are listening to us on the go, you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and basically anywhere you get your podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Paul. With me in the studio is the world famous, the most well-known, the person who puts all these things together and then fixes them when I try, producer <laughs> Melanie. Melanie, how are you today? I'm doing great, Paul. How are you? Oh, just living the dream. Just living the dream. Happy, as well. happy Friday. Happy Friday, indeed. What a week it's been. Yeah, it's been a long week. It's been a long week. It's going to be even funnier when I release this episode on a Wednesday and people are like, it's not Friday. So happy Wednesday to our listeners. Happy Wednesday on our release day. But we are excited. We're very excited because we have somebody via Zoom because that's how you do interviews. That's how you do it nowadays. Nobody 
talks to nobody sits in the same room anymore. I know it's so hard, but this is this is the best way to do it because we're able to connect with so many people all around the all world. around the world, which is really awesome. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the positives out of this craziness. So this gentleman, we connected. We I think we connected about a month ago, and just we we had something scheduled, and then I we had you know COVID scares and holidays, and then work, and then this, and we finally. I have to say that there's nothing cooler than trying to set up an interview with somebody and they're like, I'm good. Like, you want to do this Friday? I'm like, I guess we'll do this Friday. This was two days in advance. (laughs) And that is Mr. Joel Carroll. Joel, how are you today? I am well. Thank you for having me on. Oh, It really is our pleasure. And (laughs) we're going to explain why in a minute. So Joel is an author and he has written a book called The Book of Joel, which what a a it's like the perfect title. Yeah, it came together perfectly with my life and and the way everything panned out for me and just the title itself sticks out because so many people have heard of it being a biblical story mm-hmm. it, you know, so the way my life, life transpired it, it was perfect it's mm-hmm. funny because when i first googled it that's what came up first but luckily you had uh, sent your link with uh your first interview or your first email to me but i remember just like google i'll just google the book of joel i was at work and it was like just you know, it was the Bible verses. And I was like, wait a minute, I don't think this is right. It's one of the best-selling books ever. So why don't you... Not t- that old. Not that old. Not that- <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about your backstory before we even jump into the book so our listeners can kind of get to know you. So my father was in the military. I was born on October Friday the 13th on a weekend of a full moon in Phoenix. And my wow. father was in the military, married, had an older sister. And we moved to Virginia when I was young and then ended up moving to Europe a few years later. And when I was in Europe, I had some situations that carried with me all the way till I'm almost 44 years old. You know, having some demonic presences around me that other people weren't seeing and the children around the neighborhood didn't see as well or didn't have that that sixth sense or that ominous feeling. I love sports. I played soccer in Europe for three or four years. Oh, wow. I went skiing in Austria, in the Alps. I was in a commercial in Amsterdam. So that stuff was cool. But also at that time, I was like real curious. So I would go around and like start fires, you know, and I started stealing when I was six years old. Mm -hmm. And I was a thief for 28 years. You know, I was an impatient young man. I wanted things yesterday. And if I didn't have the means to get what I wanted or what the other kids had, I would take it. I also had a a death, a close friend of mine when I was seven years old. About 16 hours after I had a demonic presence in our home tormenting me, I was going to tell him after school And I just didn't have the courage to do so. So when the bus stopped in Belgium and he got off, I remember waving to him. And then later on that evening, my mother told me that Michael passed away from a bee sting in his throat. And he was allergic to bee stings. So I had a lot of questions about life. My mother believed in God. She spoke of God. We weren't church going folks, but she always believed in the Lord. And I prayed about it because I'm like, okay, I have these spirits coming after me. These I see shadows. My best friend passed away at the age of seven, like what God would do something like that. Mm-hmm. And I prayed. I prayed when I was little and there was no light shining down. There was no loud voice being like, I'm here to comfort you. You know, this is what had happened. So a lot of questions as 
as a child and I was an extremely deep thinker. And then we moved back to the States to Phoenix. And around that time is where I had my first blackout by being uncomfortable. So I, I was being pumped up by my friends to fight this kid after school. And they, they pushed me into a, a large circle of kids and I was terrified. I didn't know anything about fighting. I loved the karate kid at that point in the eighties, my favorite movie, watched mm-hmm. it a thousand times. And I watched boxing with my father, military man. He was a boxer. He was a drinker. And the only thing I knew about fighting was watching these guys fight on the television, whether it was a movie or on pay-per-view. And I got in there and I tried to do the old karate kick, Daniel LaRusso crane kick, and I missed and everybody laughed at me, but I blacked out. Long story short on that, I ended up beating the kid with a painted rock on a tee-off green at the golf course by our school, but I don't remember that even to this day. And then I snapped on his friends the next day when they bullied me and called me crazy and wanted to be karate kid and they're making me cry. And I chased them through the neighborhood into a house and then I punched through a large window in in this vacant house's uh, living room and I tried to stab the kid in the head with a piece of glass. I wasn't ever violent for no reason. Something happens to me when I become uncomfortable and I can't handle situations that baffle me. Hmm. But then I would go about my business and I would be a kind person to everybody. But the second I got uncomfortable, I didn't know how to handle it and I black out. So then we moved to Virginia again, where my father was stationed at the Pentagon and it was anxiety and depression all over again from having to move around and pack up my little world with my little friends and everything, my, my little schedule that I had. Mm-hmm. And I would have to rebuild that. And it was ex- an extremely difficult thing to do as a child, always moving around and unpacking, going outside, the fear of the unknown little kids in these new neighborhoods. If, you know, they would pick on me because I'm, I'm a very small dude. And I was very I was smaller than my girlfriends. And I had buck teeth and people would call me rap boy can opener, beaver boy, even kids' mothers in the neighborhood would call me names and I would hear it when I was ringing their doorbell. But in saying that, I ended up always having a large group of friends Hmm. everywhere I went. And I got into sports really big and basketball, baseball. That was like my passion, collecting baseball cards, sports cards, and getting really good at breaking down stats in the sports. So like being a sports center broadcaster was like my goal or to be on a major league or one of the four national, you know, uh, sports leagues. But I never grew, and I stayed small. And basketball ended up being my escape for everything. Mm-hmm. And I was I was pretty good at basketball, you know. And I tried out in high school. Everything was good up until the point where Prince William County, Northern Virginia, outside D.C., the school zoning commission they changed the school zone so like 200 feet from our front door if we lived on the other side of these mailboxes on this dirt road i had to go to garfield my sister went to woodbridge high school where all my friends were transitioning to to ninth grade i ended up not being able to go with them so again there goes depression there goes anxiety the fear of the unknown super intimidated walking into this high school there's thousands of kids in there it wasn't like the middle school Mm -hmm. where everybody's happy go lucky it's a middle school Mm -hmm. These are gangs. 
you know, this is solidified gangs. This is this is dope. This is violence. Beautiful females that look like the women in the Playboy magazines. I was stealing from my daddy when I was 12 years old. Like, I was intimidated for sure. I was 4 foot 11, 88 pounds, something like that. And they were like, are you in the right school? So as time went on, I was still playing basketball for AAU and Boys and Girls Club. And I was practicing every day at this rec center by down the street from our house. And I would just dribble down there, dribble home. And one day I was sitting on the bleachers after playing. And there were some kids in the high school. So I was getting a little bit more comfortable being around these people in the high school because they were still at the same rec center. And I was watching these, these young men play basketball on the full court. I just admired it. I liked the way they carried themselves. I liked the way people respected them. I liked the way they played basketball. I liked the way they spoke. I liked the way everything about their lifestyle. So one evening I was dribbling back home to the house, and I put my ball down, took my shoes off, and I looked over, and two of those young men were on my couch talking to my father, who worked at the Pentagon, and my mother, who worked at a bank, and with my older sister. And my father was like, come in here. So I went in there, and I'm kind of like anxious and, and like, what are they doing in our house? My father said, well, this is so-and-so, your sister's boyfriend, wanted to go ahead and introduce you. So my mind was going everywhere. Again, as a deep thinker, like, I'm like, wow, what are these dudes doing in there? And they're gang members. And her boyfriend ended up putting me under his wing, but didn't want me affiliated. Hmm. But as time went along and I tried out for the Garfield basketball team, I was way out of my league. And they were like, you shouldn't even be in the school, man. You look like you should be in middle school or elementary school. And it broke my heart because basketball was my passion of life. It was my escape from myself. And that's when I ended up reaching into my parents' liquor cabinet and, and pulling down a bottle of tequila early in the morning, pouring it in a cup, and then going to my mother's ashtray by the fireplace and putting it in a little sandwich baggie, stealing a lighter and going to our bus stop. And I lit up my first cigarette and I poured my first drink down my throat. That ended up being a 20-year war with addiction. And I also lost my virginity to my next-door neighbor soon after. So there was no more collecting baseball cards, you know, going to card shows. It was like I am addicted to the way a woman feels, and I'm addicted to the way this liquor makes me feel. Mm -hmm. And I started going around more gang members and in a different part of Woodbridge. Again, with no friends that I went to middle school with. And I was becoming close to a lot of the young men that played basketball there. And, and eventually they were all getting initiated into the gang that I wanted to become a part of. Hmm. And then my sister's boyfriend gave me an, an alias because I was bringing, the more confident I became, I got a beautiful girlfriend from West Philly. We had the same last name. People thought we were married. So I'd go to her mom's house and kick it with her and her three sisters and then when Big Bro would drive back from Philly, I would jump out a window and run to a friend's house and then sneak back. And I had guns pulled on me, you know, had guns put in my mouth on the street. Her and I were walking from 7-Eleven one day after school and SUV pulled up and they walked up to me and, and threatened to kill me. Um, it was a neighborhood where a lot of gang members lived and, and they were testing me to see if I was going to run away, but I just never did. All the meanwhile, my parents thought I was this good kid. Still, I am a good kid, but I'm trying to fit in somewhere now. Like, I really want to be loved, and I'm searching for something that I wasn't getting in my home. Mm -hmm. 
So my sister's boyfriend gave me the alias Omen, O-N-E-N. And right there, it just blew my mind because I was born on Friday the 13th, weekend of a full moon. My name is Biblical. Here's Omen, the, the scales, evil and good. But when he gave me that alias, I ran with it. Mm-hmm. I ran with it. He made me a shirt, go hard, go home, the Omen on the back. People thought I was affiliated, but the gang members were like, who is this scrub, man? You know what I mean? Like, he's not part of what we're doing. But when something would happen to me in the school, those guys would would walk up and kind of warn the other people, like, yo, that's so-and-so's little bro. You kind of want to back up. You don't want to mess with him. And I love that feeling. And I wanted it more than ever. And I went to get affiliated, and they laughed at me. I got hit in my I got hit in my temple so hard that I flew down the steps at this undisclosed location and it hurt me. I'd never been hit before and I couldn't open my mouth for a week. I'm colorblind, but I saw a purple out of one eye and I knew it and orange out of another eye. For like the first time I knew what the colors were, but they wouldn't go away. Hmm. And it, it made me depressed. Smoking a lot of weed, drinking a lot of alcohol, still a klepto. I would go to seven eleven and still black and milds and and alcohol all the time. And everything I ever went through, I would I would drink and use. And I would sleep around because now people are like, yo, that's so-and-so's little brother. He's dating this female who's beautiful female. And he's not leaving these neighborhoods. So now I'm sleeping with multiple females. When the gang is getting in fights in school, I'm jumping right in the middle of it. And the whole crowd and committing acts of violence. That were pretty disturbing in front of everybody, just showing, like, this is who I am. And there was a time I was walking down the hallway with my girlfriend, and she wasn't happy with me, and she was wearing a leather jacket of some other dude, and I ended up grabbing her arm and breaking her thumb. I didn't mean to do it, but I snap when I'm uncomfortable. And then a teacher grabbed my hoodie off my head one day while I was walking with my girlfriend, pleading with her to stay with me. But she choked me with my headphones because back in the early 90s, we didn't have these nice mm-hmm. earphones that we got now. So she kind of choked me. I didn't know who it was. And I grabbed her by the bangs and I bashed her skull against a brick wall in the hallway. I didn't know it was her. If I saw who it was, I wouldn't have did that. But she put her hands on me and I felt, again, uncomfortable. And I snapped. So my parents are now starting to get calls from the high school saying, look, your son's committing acts of violence. He's not going to school. He's walking the hallways. He's just talking to girls. And they didn't know what to do. So I went and I got affiliated. And I just did it. And the second that that happened, I felt like I belonged. I felt important. And then I was hanging with these guys that I I looked up to and admired and observed on the basketball court and in the hallways at high school, and I became one of them. Now you got Omen running around here with an umbrella, which is the gang, for me to make a name for myself. And even though I had people coming into the high school that graduated, that got out of the gangs, would come in and, and share their testimony and say what not to do and encourage us young teenagers not to follow anybody else's footsteps and, and be a unique individual and follow our own passions. Fortunately, my passion was to follow these, follow these other men. And there was a lot of death in my life. There was a lot of death. There was a lot of violence when I was in high school. I committed a lot of violent acts, and then I got pulled out of high school and sent to Arizona where my relatives are 
But when I did that, I ended up stealing from my grandparents. I was stealing from aunts and uncles. I'm being passed around from family to family and an intervention and a plea from my parents to save my life. And I ended up doing a lot of dope when I was out there and catching STDs by sleeping with multiple females in different apartment complexes. And it got real, real evil real quick on methamphetamine in the 90s. So I, I, while high, I got on a plane and I moved back to, flew back into Baltimore and got back up with my, my gang, but I was homeless. And then I went to the military in a last ditch effort to change my life. And my parents allowed me to move back into the home. I got a job as a chef, I mean, as a, um, as a dishwasher in a, restaurant and it was cool. I liked it. Now I'm in the Virginia Army National Guard because I'm colorblind. I'm supplies unit. So I'm working. I'm like Forrest Gump taking apart guns, looking at the serial numbers, putting them back real quick. And then I didn't want to stop getting high. Yeah. So I got kicked out. I got discharged from the military. My parents kicked me out. My mother broke her heart. Now I'm homeless again. Now I'm setting up equipment for bands in the D.C. area. It's called Go-Go Music. My gang had a band as well, so I'm traveling around just for somewhere to stay. Again, just sleeping around, all these situations that are happening. And then there's a few instances at these clubs where I almost got beat to death in Washington, D.C. And the police just sat there and smoked their cigarettes while they were beating the brakes off my little And I just I kept using and drinking about it. Then I was catching resentments because somebody and they didn't sit there and fight with me. And then another occasion where I got hit in the head with the police smack light and they broke my skull and I had a stroke. But I didn't know I had a stroke because the hospital just sent us away because it was too many black individuals in this hospital in Virginia. And I don't know what was going on because they were stitching my skull up and I got a dent in my head. And one of my big brothers in the, in the gang was in there with me. He wouldn't allow the person that did it to me on accident to come in the room, but I could hear it. I just couldn't talk. Mm -hmm. But the hospital just sent me away with no CAT scan, no, no CT scan, no, no anything, no MRI, no paperwork. So I started doing dope. I started doing cocaine real heavy, getting females pregnant. They're calling me left and right that they're having my kids. And I was, I was lost. I didn't know what to do at that point. And once I found out that one of those babies was mine, instead of being a reliable, a reliable man, I put a scream mask on from that movie Scream I dressed in all black like the omen, and this was what I'm telling myself back then in 1999 when my daughter was born, and I attempted a jewelry store heist outside of Washington, D.C. against my own spirit because I knew something bad was going to happen and they were going to tell on me. So I ran to Florida. I slept around with some women that I had just met, passed around some STDs, got some more. Got high, got drunk, went back to Virginia when my father said he was going to lose his security clearance at the Pentagon because I'm a known gang member and I'm a felon and they're looking for me. So I turned myself in for somebody else and that felt good. And being incarcerated was a long story. And my book explains everything that happened when I was incarcerated and when my two brothers testified me in court on me in court and pointed me out, I became super homicidal. And I'm still real slow because of stroke. I'm taking precautions, not trying to be tough as much as I used to be. 
but they testified me and it broke my heart. And it just, I don't know how to handle being sad and depressed. So I fueled that with vengeance. Mm-hmm. So I had homicidal ideation for 13 years, waking up, thinking about murdering somebody. And some situations happened after that. I got a job at a pool company. Got up with another beautiful female, and she had an apartment with two other girls that went to George Mason University, and I ended up selling ecstasy pills and doing a lot of ecstasy. But when her and I split up, it really broke my heart, and I became a a crack fiend, smoking crack, and I got kidnapped in the woods of Gainesville, Noakesville and Gainesville area near Manassas, where I was incarcerated. And these guys hit me in the head where I already had a stroke, so it debilitated me, and then they beat me with a cinder block. And I defecated on myself, and they dragged me to the truck. And this whole time, I'm just trying to figure out how to stop what I'm doing so I could be there for my daughter and her mom. And they let me go on the phone. The phone rang. So they drove off the paved road onto a dirt road onto no road. And I'm in the back with the dude with the gun. And these are, you know, 50-year-old gentlemen from Maryland, these gang members. And and they liked me, but they wanted their money. And the woman I was sleeping with, who's much, much older than me, was that going to bring the money to them. And she ended up calling right before they were going to do whatever they were going to do to me in the woods. And I would have thought that would have changed my life, them letting me go. But the insanity of the disease, the, the disease of addiction is... 15 minutes after I cleaned myself, I went back to smoke and crack. Mm -hmm. And a few years later, I went to Louisiana with another female that I'd met that got me away from that lifestyle. And I moved with her to Shreveport, Louisiana with her mom, leaving my daughter and her mom behind. So a lot of depression, but the thought of getting clean in a different state was amazing. The reality was tricky. And when I got a job at a pool company in Shreveport, Louisiana, the guys that I was on the that was on the work crew, they were smoking dope in the state. And that's just the way my life went. Anything that was my desire that I was trying to walk away from was going to be presented to me very plainly and and it was going to happen often. So I became a full-blown crack addict in Louisiana. My girlfriend at the time had no idea I was a drug addict because I was such a bad alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And when Katrina hit and Hurricane Rita hit, I was like, man, let's go back to Arizona where my parents, my father left the military. My father was in the Pentagon in 9-11. I didn't even care because I needed more cocaine. I was there for Hurricane Katrina. And though we were north in Louisiana, there was a lot going on, but I didn't care because I needed more dope. We went to Arizona, and I started cleaning pools and building pools out, out here. And people were like, you could cook your, your, your butt off, so why don't you try going to the Art Institute? And I was like, you know what? I can do that. So I excelled in that, and I became a chef at the Ritz-Carlton in Marana in the mountains, which was very spiritual to me. Again, mm-hmm. I got wow, the yeah. sixth sense, good spirits, bad spirits. I've had them all around me my entire life. And then I picked up a drink, one drink. And I got a DUI at a strip club with one of my relatives out here. They've been out here forever, man. And I got so depressed. At this time, I have a son with my wife. And she's pregnant with another. 
and I walked away from being a chef at the Ritz Carlton, and I walked away from being a student at the Art Institute, and I walked away from being a father and a husband and a son, and I walked away to the darkness of methamphetamine, and I put the alcohol down, and I became a full-blown methamphetamine addict. And I lost my mind. I was in and out of mental hospitals. I was 107 pounds as a 34-year-old man. I was running the streets with axes, machetes. I went suicide by cop, but they didn't kill me. They hogtied me and threw me in a psych hospital. I almost murdered somebody that loves me dearly with a machete because I'm a sick dude when I get on that stuff. And the devil rejoices in everything that I do while I'm doing that. And I was a pervert. And I was around perverted women, so I wouldn't stick out. And I wouldn't be that person. They're like, yo, this dude's too weird. So I went around weird individuals, so I fit right in. Meantime, I got a, a loving wife trying to do everything she can to raise my two sons. Meanwhile, I have a daughter in Virginia that I'm trying to forget about because I don't want to hurt like they're hurting. So I manipulated my own mind on methamphetamine to completely forget about my family so I would just die. And I was going to commit suicide in 2013 after the suicide by cop attempt. But I was going to jump in front of a moving vehicle in front of the psych hospital. And I ended up walking around that institution for two hours. And I walked in and I openly and willingly took medications that the doctors prescribed me. And I stayed there for weeks. And my wife brought my two sons there. And I said, you know what, I'm going to try this thing out one more time. I'm tired of being incarcerated. I'm tired of being a patient. I'm tired of starving while being incarcerated. I'm 107 to 113 pounds, and I can't get food after 4 p.m. That really took its toll on me because when I drink and I use, I don't eat. I'm one of those guys that just does not eat. I could be mm -hmm. anywhere with the best chefs on the planet throwing down barbecue in Kansas City or here down by Mexico eating the best authentic Mexican food. If I take a drink, there's no eating for me. Mm -hmm. But when I could not have the opportunity to eat when I wanted to, when I was incarcerated, it changed my life. So I went back to the Salvation Army rehab for men. And they allowed me to go back in after AWOLing twice. And on March 1st, 2013, I gave my life to Christ. And I moved out of my own way. And I got a sponsor into a 12-step fellowship, and I, I'm i still here. I'll be nine years clean on February 10th coming up. Wow. I'm a father of five. I'm an advocate in Tucson, Arizona for men, women, and children that suffer from mental illness, that don't know how to talk, that don't know how to listen, that don't know how to act, that don't know how to handle situations which baffle them. So I ended up working in a psych hospital where I used to be a patient at as an advocate for four, four years. And then I've been working in the rehabilitation centers with adults for the last. Wow. Wow. That, that's really incredible, man. Like, thank, thank you so much for sharing story. your story. Like we, we're sitting here, we're the worst podcast hosts ever. We're just sitting here so enthralled, like we're like hanging on out the whole thing. So first and foremost, thank you for sharing your story. Mm -hmm. That's really empowering. I know Melanie, you, you've worked in a field with a lot of interviewing and a lot of, you know, trauma. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you think, uh, what, what's your big takeaway from the stories that we just heard? I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of stories. I've heard a lot of really dark, dark stories. So my, my favorite thing from your story is 
the perseverance, you know, every time you got knocked down, you got back up and it wasn't always necessarily the, the most healthy or, or the, the most graceful way of getting up, but you still got up and you kept fighting and, and you were just trying to navigate through all of the, the messiest of experiences and, and your journey was one of the, one of the most difficult that I've, that I've personally heard. Um, and to be where you are now and to be coming up on nine years of being sober, that is such an accomplishment that it, that is huge. So congratulations to you. It's, I'm sure it is, it's not easy. And a lot of people who, who don't have the history, a lot of people who, who have never been around somebody who has, who has struggled with addiction, they might not necessarily realize how difficult that is. There are a lot of components with addiction as well. Obviously mental health being one of the biggest ones. When you were, when you were getting health in, in your, in your rehab facility, was it, it was, was there a lot of counseling, like group counseling, or did you have to go through like individualized therapies and, and things like that? Was it, was it a mixture of, of those things or, or something else? Yeah. So Salvation Army is much, much different. It is so structured. Most people won't do it and it's around the planet. It's just not people ringing the bell for Thanksgiving and Mm -hmm. handing out turkeys. You know, it happened in Europe a hundred and something years ago. And then what happens is we go in there, we work eight hours a day. Oh, wow. For me, I couldn't, to thine own self be true, I didn't want to be around females. I knew that that would knock me immediately. I mean, walking in the door, if there's females walking around in the rehab and they have cell phones, then I'm just going to walk around and, and, and try to impregnate them, you know, regardless if I was married or not, because that was part of my addiction. Mm-hmm. So at the Salvation Army, to answer your question, it's wake up in the morning, shave your face, look good, put in a collared shirt, tuck it in, lace your boots, get a good meal, and go to work for eight hours a day. No smoke breaks. Then you get a smoke break if you smoke. Then you eat. Then you go to group counseling with these men. And then you go to chapel. And then you do it over and over and over again, having to have a sponsor within 30 days or they boot you back to the street. So it was all men's group counseling. It was one-on-one therapy. It was talking to the individuals that have been running the Salvation Army. There's colonels and and majors. That's how they run it there. But we as the men, we're the ones that run the program. Mm -hmm. We got 86 men from all walks of life. I mean, it's a big deal. Like, I'm not a Cowboys fan by any means, Mm -hmm. but they're stamped on the Cowboys field, the Salvation Army. Like, it is a big freaking deal. So... That one-on-one therapy, it was difficult for me, again, because it was a female therapist. You know, my mm-hmm. mind was going the whole entire time. But the more I went to church, the more I spoke to these men of God, the more that went away, and I was able to not try to show off for her. And then it ended up being a boundaries. We focused everything down to boundaries because I didn't know how to have boundaries. I didn't know what a boundary mm-hmm. was. It looked like mm-hmm. a pants, you know, but I didn't yeah. know what a, a true boundary was. And it's saying no mm-hmm. without apologizing. And thinking about your answer before you do it out of impulse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that structure is what allows me to do what I do today still is from that Salvation Army. And then ending up going to church every Wednesday after that and attending my 12-step meetings. That's awesome, man. Like it, wow. it, it's really just empowering to hear because, you know, it's the hearing the success story. It's not something you hear very often. A lot of people always hear, hear the falling off the wagon stories, the, the falling back into old habits, but like 
you're doing it and it's, it's mm-hmm. inspiring. So why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about your book, the book of Joel. So the book of Joel, I started writing in 2015 when I, it was necessary for me to get a level one fingerprint clearance card to work with children and vulnerable adults. And I'm not an educated guy, nor did I ever want to be when it came to academics. But when I was doing that, I had to write a summary on all the situations around the country that I'd been in contact with law enforcement, even if I wasn't convicted. So while I was doing that on my mother-in-law's laptop, I'm like, man, you're pretty good. So 2015 in August, I started writing. I wrote the first chapter in a week. Then I jumped off for six months. Mm-hmm. Then I just kept writing it, writing it, writing it. And it's my testimony from Friday the 13th, October 1978 to now. Just a timeline of the mental stress that I have endured in the past 30, uh, 43 years. And how I managed all those situations, not so righteously, while believing in God, but never following him. Go do the devil's work, but I got a Jesus piece on. Mm -hmm. Thou shalt not kill on my leg, but some of the things I was doing did not represent an all-loving God. So I wanted individuals in rehabs, mental institutions, incarcerated family members that don't understand why, they're, why, why their father continues to drink, why their mother is selling her body for dope, while people are continuously running away. Like the loved ones are a very important part of this whole picture. My daughter, mm-hmm. she's 22 years old. She's a beautiful woman. And yes, she met her four brothers that I have here with me in Tucson, when I flew to D.C. with my entire family, which was a blessing in itself. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to write this book so she could understand who I used to be and why I did what I did. Think about my daughter every day of my life. There's no taking back me not choosing her and her mom over a lifestyle in which I ran away from my parents and never found anything that I wanted. I ran away from home looking for something, and I never found it. And I tapped out in 2013, went straight back to my mama and daddy's house. Like that's some that's some wild stuff. Yeah. Like absolutely. I'm done. I didn't find what I wanted. It's in your home. It's your love. It's wild stuff. But my book is a play by play of what that is. And the demon on the front represents the demonic entity in Europe when I was a child. And I'm handcuffed to a chair in the middle of a tornado. But that also represents me looking myself in the face, being the demonic battle that it was within myself my entire life. And look, I'm going to tell y'all, I've had a lot of situations since I've been clean that baffled me. I had a son in 2015 that was dying in front of me when my wife gave birth to him, two years into my sobriety. That was the day that I learned that there's never no powerlessness on this planet if you have prayer. Mm-hmm. He's seven years old today. He loves playing Little League Baseball. Five years old, my other son was diagnosed with cancer. He's nine years old. Wow. He plays basketball, and he is good. And when I mean he's good, I'm not just saying that. You know what I mean? Like, he can ball. But he's in a very competitive league now. Because some people that I know that are connected to the University of Arizona were like, just 
come out. If you're if you're talking them up like that, bring them over, and they they got them on that league immediately. Oh wow! And he deals with what he deals with. You know, my twelve year old son, he's got some some health issues as well, but he's a model. He's gonna go to Los Angeles to do the catwalk, and just like myself, he looks like he should be in a grade four <laughs> years before what he is right now. Wow! That- what a legacy. Yeah, seriously, that that's really cool, man. Like, and just again, it's it's so empowering, it's so inspiring. So we're running a little low on time. So I I want to ask my favorite question that I like to ask: What's next? Like, what's what's in the future for you? I want to get this book on film. Oh yeah! Wow! I want to get this book on on the TV, the story, I should say, on the television, so people can can see what somebody can go through but overcome it mm-hmm. and still mm-hmm. deal with it every day. It just didn't go away. Life didn't stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just being able to handle these situations instead of running away all the time and just standing there and, and where I'm at right now in my life, slowing down while the planet gets faster. Mm. Talking about humanity, not the earth itself. Mm-hmm. It's so fast-paced. Everything is going. I'm in the mode right now in the season of growth of just slowing it down, being in the moment, analyzing everything that's happening in the moment, and doing the best I can as that goes. Mm-hmm. Love it. And for anybody who's curious about getting your book, because first of all, we would watch that movie, just so you know. like Oh, absolutely. <laughs> just all, every everything that you explained tonight and you know, reading through, reading through the blurb and everything earlier, there, there's so, I have so many more questions. I, I want to know. I want to know how how certain things happen, and I want. I have so many more questions, but I can't. We don't have time to do it right now. We'll get, we'll get the book. That, we'll get the book. It's fine. No, we'll the, I, I want to watch. I want to watch the movie. You want to watch the movie too? Yes. I want to watch the movie. I want to read the book. <laughs> want to have another interview? So oh yeah. Now we just we officially just asked you to come back. So. <laughs> I got time to get ready for yeah, it. Yeah, always love to have follow-ups. But uh, for anybody who wants to get your book, I believe FultonBooks.com is the place to get it. Fulton Books, my publisher, Amazon, Amazon Kindle. The audio book will be out in a month or two. Definitely be putting that out because a lot of people want that. Mm. Um, awesome. We did a book signing at Barnes & Noble, so Barnes & Noble. Oh, cool. If you type my name, Joel Carroll, and the book of Joel, Cunning, Baffling, and Powerful, you can get it anywhere. Walmart, Target, it's out there. Well, awesome. if you are ever in New York doing a book signing, please let us know because we would love to, to meet you in person and get a copy signed. Yeah. So that's going to wrap us up, though, for tonight. Joe, mm-hmm. thank you so much for taking the time out. Like, seriously, it was really just such a powerful message, such a powerful episode. So we really want to thank you for uh, for joining us tonight. Thank you, guys. I Have, appreciate it. Uh, we thank do, too. So Have a good rest of your thank night, you so all right? Much. You as well. Take, Take care. care. Oh, man, what? a cool guy like inspiring empowering just i'm just blown away by all of the things that he's experienced i i getting kidnapped having you know getting addicted to various drugs Mm -hmm. throughout a 20 20 some odd year span yeah the fact the fact that he is still alive after all of these things you know like there he had so many near-death experiences it's just, it's incredible. Absolutely. And, you know, it's like we said, we don't, you don't often hear the success stories. Mm-hmm. So to hear one and to hear such a powerful one is, is really just like 
it's inspiring and that's really the, the thing you can do because it's really easy to, to always just focus on the bad and focus on the, mm-hmm. the bad things that happen to people with that lifestyle but he turned his life around you know for himself for his kids for his family and mm-hmm. now he's he's writing a book he's signing at barnes and nobles i i want to see the movie yeah I, I definitely need to get my hands on that book i definitely would love to see a movie mm-hmm. um just to to hear his his story to see all of these things the the demonic presence like that what you know like how 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 do you live with that like how do you how do you deal with that and especially as a child yeah that's so traumatizing to to physically see something happen and then you lose your best friend at 7 years old yeah. you know it's it's just it's tragic it really is well, we want to thank Joel for uh, coming on tonight. We want to thank you guys for listening tonight. If you guys are looking for more content, you can find it at themisfitfaction.com. There you find links to all of our different interviews, our podcasts, including this one, the Multiverse Fancast, and Cinematic Adventures. You can also find uh, links to our articles and our book reviews. They're all on there. You can find Melanie on Instagram with uh, Bibliophiles Assemble is her Instagram account. Where that she- is correct where she reviews books. She does some self-help and encouragement. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at The Misfit Faction. It's not nearly as cool as Bibliophiles Assemble, but it's there. You know, we're getting there. We're getting there. But uh, Melanie, thank you for joining me tonight. I know I kind of threw this at you super last minute. No, it's totally fine. I, I really enjoy, I mean, I've said it in other episodes too that I've been on. I just really enjoy being here and I love hearing everybody's story because everybody's story is so different. Mm-hmm. There are so many different aspects of Joel's story that I, you know, I, I, I can't relate to because I've never had those experiences. I can, I can say like, I've heard all these other stories and, you know, and, and have some sort of perspective, but really it's, it's something that's so out of my world that it's like, oh, these, you know, these things do happen and it's kind of like a wake up call. Right. And it really puts things into perspective. And I really love what he said at the end where, you know, the world keep spinning and it feels like it's going so fast and he's just trying to slow it down his own personal life he's trying to slow it down and learn how to do that and i think especially in today's world that is so important because we need to be able to pull back and you know just have a better perspective and and really appreciate what we have while we have it and you know i just think it's so important me too and that's very well said and very well spoken and just yeah. So we want to thank you guys. I, I'm just sorry. She's laughing at me because you guys can't see it, but she's laughing at me because I just kind of stumbled through because I'm still, I'm a little flustered with all that. It, it is, it's yeah, not easy stuff to powerful. hear. It's very powerful. Um, we usually do a lot of research before we do an interview and, you know, as much as we physically can, sometimes we have copies of books beforehand. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we Google. Sometimes we get info before in like a pre-interview, which we did tonight. But powerful stuff. So we want to thank you guys uh, for listening. As Mm -hmm. always, I'm Paul. And I'm Melanie. And we'll be back next time.